Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Three points last week. Our love of Jesus must be unmatched. Our loyalty to Jesus must, must be unmatched. And our lacking, our service for Jesus must be unmatched. And I Three powerful and challenging points that we saw, uh, but they were from Jesus' teaching. Uh, they had to do with following Jesus His way. And uh, again, when we, we look at modern Christianity, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like a domino effect or a snowball effect whenever you see uh, a, a, a laxing in areas of our following of Jesus. Uh, other people see it and see, seem to catch on to it, and all of a sudden it becomes okay not to follow Jesus with everything that you have. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to forsake everything and follow me. You've got to deny your, your own self. You've got to leave it all and follow me. And it's not just most of the time. It's not just uh, whenever you feel like it. It's not just whenever it's convenient. It is now you are bought with a price. You are no longer yours. And it is all the time, 24-7, 365, you are following Jesus with everything you have, carrying your cross, whatever the cost, to fulfill his will. And again, it's a challenging call. I mean, that's what it is. But that's why Jesus said, count the cost. Whenever you consider following me, when you say, I want your salvation, I want to, I want to go your way, I want your heaven, I want all those things, he says, count the cost. Because it, 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 it's, it's, there is a cost involved. It's your all. And uh, now salvation is free. We realize that we can't work for it. We can't do anything to gain it. Uh, you can't say, so following Jesus means I've got to go to church all the time. I've got to give all. I've got to do all these things to get salvation. Absolutely not. Uh, you can't do a thing. You can't do a great enough thing, long enough. You can't do anything to gain salvation. However, when we get salvation, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we accept that free gift that he paid for for us, when we do that, again, it is an absolute surrender. We have now turned away from living our life our way. We've now turned away from living our life for sin. We've turned away from living our life according to the course of this world. We've turned away from all of that, and we've said, because of my trust and absolute confidence in Jesus, I'm following his way now. And his way is found in his word. And so, again, very challenging, but uh, it, it's so uh, important to, for us to get this, that this is the only way to follow Jesus. So you've heard me say before, the standard of our, our Christian walk isn't other Christians. And that's what I was referring to as far as the snowball or domino effect. See other people not doing certain things, other people doing certain things. And all of a sudden it becomes okay for us to do those things that are against God's will or not do those things that are in God's will because somebody else isn't doing it or because somebody else is doing it. And that's not the standard, that's not the call. The call is to follow Jesus His way. That's the only way that we see in Scripture. The, the world, even modern, and I've referred to this before, churchianity. And I want you to hear that, churchianity. Because there's a lot of people that are religious in their church going. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're following Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of people that are religious in church going. And again, had, those people have watered down what it is, what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. It's not popular. Uh, it's not taught a lot. We, we preach it in our church, we teach it in our church, in Sunday school and in other facets because it's in God's Word. But even when it is taught, it's hard, as it was for those in Jesus' day, still today, for people to hear it and say, I don't know if I can follow Jesus Christ that way. Again, a lot of people want most of what Jesus says. They, I, I want His heaven, I want, I want all the blessings, I want the protection. I want whenever I, I go through a, a struggle with my health to be able to call on him and him fix me. I, I, want, I want all those benefits that come along with Jesus. But when it comes down to a daily following Jesus, taking up our cross, we say, well, I don't know if I feel like doing that today. And that's not what, again, what we saw with Jesus te teaching last week is not at all uh, what he said. And so, again, it's an, it's an absolute surrender. And I hope it was challenging. It's been challenging for me. It's been a, a renewing, a refreshing of, you know what, I need to be giving more. I need to be giving all. There's never a time in any of our lives that we should ever say, I think I'm doing enough. 
right? I mean, you say, well, I think I could talk to Brother Kyle and say, yeah, Brother Kyle, I think I'm doing enough. I mean, I'm doing this, this. There's never a time that any Christian should ever be able to say, I'm doing enough for the Lord. We can never do enough. And so this morning, we're going to move forward uh, in this journey with Jesus and see some more, some very encouraging points this morning, uh, but still a little challenge in there as well. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us again to meet in your name, meet to, to glorify you. Lord, you are the reason why we're here. Uh, we're not here for a show. We're not here for uh, a religious exercise, God. We're here to worship you. And Lord, through the songs and through the giving, we pray that you were exalted. I pray that everything that was done, everything that was given, uh, is a sweet-smelling savor from the prayers, uh, again, to the last song. And now as we enter into this time where your word is preached and taught, I ask that you would just move in our presence, that the Spirit would have full reign in each of our lives, God, that we would yield ourselves to you, uh, that we would open up our spiritual ears and eyes, that we would set aside anything that's distracting. We would set aside the thoughts of what happens next. But God, we look to you, we look to your word, and we allow you to teach and instruct us, God, to convict and, and help us, whatever is ne necessary in each of our lives. And God, if there is someone here that's lost, that they're still blinded by the God of this world, they're still lost in darkness, lost in sin, and if they were to die today, they would spend an eternity in hell. Lord, if there's someone like that, I pray that they wouldn't take any chances that they would realize the great love that you expressed in dying on the cross for their sins. That three days later you rose again, and because of that, Lord, you are God. You are, you are able to offer life, an everlasting life, to them. And so I pray that those that may be lost, uh, they would accept that free gift. They would surrender their life, and they would leave this place headed for eternity in heaven with you. And Lord, we'll praise, praise you for everything that happens, and we'll give you all the credit for it all, Lord. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, we're going to pick up just there in verse 1. It says, Then drew near unto him all publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now, I think this is so important just to stop right here in verse 1 because Jesus just taught that the people who had the very first opportunity uh, to hear him, to receive his, his uh, message and to partake in fellowship with him, would reject and give excuse. If you remember, he was talking about this, this parable of the, of the feast. And he says, hey, go and invite people to come in. And, and, and the, the servants came back and said they began to give uh, excuse. With Each one of them began to give excuse. I, I bought some land. I got to go check it out. I bought an ox, and I got to go test it out. And the other one was I married a wife. And so uh, all of them had an excuse why they couldn't follow. Jesus said, that's the religious group. That's the people that, that don't have enough for me. They, they, they're too consumed with them, themselves, and this world. And again, that's what the religious crowd were doing. Still today, that's what's happening today. Matter of fact, as I said, what, referring to those in, in the realm of churchianity, if you will, uh, when I say churchianity, what I mean is people who are very, again, religious and going to church, but have no true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, th those in churchianity, a lot of times are the ones that have the excuses uh, why they're not following Jesus all the way in. Now, let me say this, and we're going to get to this later in the message. It doesn't mean that if you have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have given your life to him, that you are saved, that you're on your way to heaven, that there aren't seasons in your life. We all know that. We all go through that. There's seasons in our life where we get off the, the, the right track. We get on the wrong track. We fall out of right fellowship with God. We call it backsliding. We, we backslide. We're not doing everything that we should be doing or that we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We all know that's the case. But for a standard, the way that our lives go, there are those, again, that, that are religious in their church going. They're religious in their claiming to, to follow Jesus Christ. But when it comes down to it, hey, are you doing, will you do this? Will you, will you go this far? Will you do this? Will you give this? It's those that say, well, I, 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 I can't and... And again, that's what Jesus was talking about, this religious crowd. So this parable, again, he just gave, was very clear that he would ask those people that were religious, that didn't have time for him, they gave excuse why they couldn't follow, why they couldn't give all. And then he says, go out to the next group. And the next group, of course, we know, were those that were despised, rejected. And that group came. But this, this, this group right here, we have to understand, was rejected. It was hated by the religious crowd. It was shunned by the religious crowd. Those people, they didn't want to have anything to do with them. 
Those people drew close to Jesus. Those people, those people that, that stood out, that were awkward, that were shunned, that were hated, that were despised, that were criticized, those people were the ones that drew close to Jesus. And look what happens in verse 2, because those people drew, uh, drew, drew near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The case is still the same today. And I praise God for that. I praise God that Jesus still receives sinners today. That's point number one. Jesus still receives sinners today. The religious crowd today, again, still has a problem with sinners uh, coming to Jesus, whether it's through self-righteous criticism or through refusal to help bring them to him. And that's the other side of self-righteousness. I don't have any responsibility. I don't need to do anything. I, I'm, God knows my heart. You've heard me say that for the last couple of weeks. God does know our hearts. And, and when our hearts are, are, are for something, our, our actions follow. The Bible says this, let us not love in, in word only, but in word and deed. Because love is an action word. And so again, when we say, I love you, Jesus, I'm following you, those, our life will follow after him. But again, the words that Jesus spoke in the parable of the supper were, were this. He says, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. He says, bring in the outcast, bring in the broken, bring in the hurting and the needy. And, the, and it goes on and says, when there was still room, he says, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Those without the religious crowd, those without the religious realm, those that are still in darkness, those that are in sin, those that still need a Savior, compel them. Go out and compel them to come to Jesus. Again, this is very important for us to understand. The, the, the master of the house was saying to his servants, go do something. My house needs to be full. You're my servants. Go, the, I, I asked the religious crowd, and the religious crowd says, ah, oh, we don't have time. We've got too much to do. We don't have, you know, we've got our own things going on right now. And then he says, okay, go out those that need me. Go out, go out to those that are broken and hurting and, and in sin and in darkness and, 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 and compel them, beg them, to, beg them to come in. We know that they did. But this is very clear, uh, clearly showing that Jesus still receives sinners. And I'm so thankful for that. I, I'm so thankful that there's nothing too bad that we could ever do that Jesus wouldn't receive us and forgive us for. I, I'm so thankful that there's, no, there, there's not a too dark of a corner in this world that his light and his love couldn't reach. I'm so thankful that he still receives sinners today. See, he's not willing that any should perish, and that's what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, even as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, he wants to see the law saved. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, we've already covered this when we were going through Timothy on Wednesday nights. He says this to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications and prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, listen to this, be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for all men. And he says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen to these words. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, listen to this, a ransom for all, a ransom for all. So again, he desires all to be saved. There's no one uh, that his, 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 his sacrifice wasn't made for. See, sinners are the ones that need to be saved. Sinners are the one in need of a sa Savior. He came for sinners. He died for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, very clearly it says this, For when we were yet without strength, listen, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Not for the godly. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet peradventure a good man. For, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God showed his love. He demonstrated. He commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can't get good enough. It's, it's not about uh, just the, uh, you know, praise God. We, we've had some people that have, have been in church for a while uh, that have got saved as adults recently. And I praise God for that. Uh, we, we've seen, in matter of fact, when I have one baptized this morning, we've seen children uh, baptized, uh, saved in our children's ministry, saved in homes, and, and we've seen them baptized. And praise God for all of that. The, each soul is, is, is valuable and precious, and we'll see that in just a second too. But it's also about those that are out there, that are broken, that are hurting, that, that, that are in need of a Savior, that are lost in darkness, that the God of this world would love to keep them blinded in their darkness and their sin. But our call is to pray for them, and not just pray for them, but to go out and compel them to come to Jesus who still receives sinners today. But it goes on in our text, back in our text, and it says this, And he spake his, this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven, over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now let's make clear, it's not that the ninety and nine have absolutely no importance at all, but it's the fact that they have no need of repentance. And there's a couple reasons why Jesus may have said this. Number one, because maybe they had already repented. Number two, though, probably, speaking in context of who he's talking about and the parable that he just gave, the 99 are probably those that thought they needed no repentance. That group that already thought they were religious. That group that were self-righteous. They, they, were, they were already with him. But he goes even further in verse 8, and look what he says. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it? And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which, which I had lost. Now, maybe some of you would do that, because you, know, you, you study this and, and, and um, you, you, you think about, would I do that? Uh, maybe, maybe you don't do that, but when I'm studying the Bible, I'm reading the Bible, sometimes I do that. I'm like, would that happen? Think about that, ladies. If you lost a silver earring in your house, when you found it, would you tell everybody? Well, I'm sorry, something just hit me. You probably would. <laughs> you would probably put it on Facebook, right? That's exactly how I just now thought about that. Thank you, Lord. But um, some, you know, some people uh, would think, well, why in the world would you, would you I mean, you, you got these other pieces of silver, and you're in your house, and you lost a piece of silver, you're turning it upside down. That's kind of something that happens in your house. I mean, you don't, like, let everybody know. So why, why would, this doesn't even, why would, why would this lady, when she found it, say, hey, rejoice with me. I found this piece of silver that was lost and now it's found. Why was it such a big deal? Well, let's read the rest and we'll see why it's a big deal. It says, verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. So what was Jesus saying about this piece of silver? You have to understand what this piece of silver was worth. It was probably at least worth a day's wages. Think about that. And again, when, when maybe times are, 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 are not as, as, as prosperous as they are for us, when we think a day's wages, I, I think I can deal with it. Some people are day's wages like absolutely could not live without a day's wages. And that's probably closer to what this lady was go in the situation that she was in. A day's wages, to lose a day's wages is just like, whoop, it's gone. Ah, I've got to find it. It was not okay for her to miss this day's worth of wage when it was lost. And so when it was found, the value of it was revealed in, in, in the rejoicing and the calling together of all her neighbors and friends. 
And so Jesus, again, ends that by saying that there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. Very clearly, Jesus was saying, the sinners who were lost, the sinners that were needing salvation, that need to repent, were of utmost value to the Savior, were of utmost value when they came to accept him as their Lord. Therefore, it's important for us to know point number two in your notes, that heaven still rejoices over one sinner repenting. And that's so, that's so beautiful. And again, we have that thought in our minds sometimes. And you, you, you hear the, if you've been in church for a long time, uh, you've kind of heard that, uh, that statement said. And, and I think it becomes callous sometimes because it's said often, oh, the, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. You know, and, and, and I think that's a sad thing that it becomes uh, a callous thought or a callous uh, statement that when a soul gets saved, heaven is rejoicing. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. And, and it just makes me think, what do we do as the, as the church of Jesus Christ when, when, a, when a, a brand new child of God comes into the family? Whenever when a, a soul is born again, are, are we so enamored with the things of God and the value of a soul that when someone gets saved and we, we see them get saved and, and when they enter into the baptismal waters and we see that happen, does it just absolutely spring up joy inside of us? And I have to say, I think on a large scale, I'm not necessarily saying in this church, but on a large scale in the church today, we are so busy and we are so active and we are so involved in all the things that are going on in this world that we live in that when the eternal things happen, when the supernatural things happen, even in our very midst, sometimes it just doesn't have the impact that it has in heaven. And I'm thinking, man... We're missing out. If one soul causes the angels in heaven to rejoice, and when someone gets saved and we see it, and we're like, oh, nice. That's great. I'm thinking, something's off. Something's terribly off. I mean, there should be nothing more that gets us exciting. If, if, if heaven is rejoicing, if the angels in, in, in the presence of God are rejoicing when one soul gets saved, Man, we should, we should be praising God, shouting hallelujah. It should get us so excited when a soul gets saved. But this is what I believe is true, and I think I put it there in your notes, is the value of a soul is often lost in the vanity of our busyness. The value of a soul is often lost in the vanity of our busyness. So when we think about a soul being reached with the gospel, we think about a soul actually getting saved from hearing the gospel. I think there's a lot of Christians, probably even in here, that get excited about that. But, but I have to ask myself, I have to ask all of us the question. Are those things really that we're so busy about in this world, are they really as important as a soul? I have to be honest with you, there's probably things in this world that I've gotten I've shown more emotion and shown more excitement over, and that's convicting. There should not, as a child of God, as a servant of Jesus Christ, there's nothing in this world that should get me stirred up. There's no, there's no thing, there's no activity, there's no sport, there's no event, there's no nothing in this world that should get me more excited and more rejoicing than a soul being saved. And so when it does... I have to look at myself and I have to evaluate myself and I think that we all have to do that and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for being so busy about the things of this world that, that, that the, the value of a soul is lost in that busyness. And all the busyness is really in vain, right? The things that we get so excited for that we, we scream at, we yell, we jump, we, we clap, we holler, we, all those things that we, we, we laugh and we, we're so joyful about, all those things. If we kind of look at them, maybe not all of them, but the majority of them probably are vanity. They're going to go away. So again, when we look at this, Jesus was saying, the value of a soul. Heaven still rejoices over one sinner still repenting. We too easily, I think, forget that that is the reason God of all creation left the glory of his heavenly abode 
and dwelt among sinners. A righteous God clothed in the creation that he created, his flesh, dwelling among sinners, dying in their place, paying our debt so that sinners just like you and I could be freed from sin and from sin's penalty. That, that's why the angels, they, they saw that day. They saw that moment. They, they saw the, 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 the day that Jesus Christ was incarnate. God was incarnate. And, and, and they saw that day that he, he was now walking among sinners. And they knew what his call was. They knew that he was going to die for the sins of the whole world because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The angels saw that. They saw the value of, of the holy God of all creation doing this, paying this. And they don't even understand it because they've not sinned. And so they, they, they don't understand this grace and this mercy that God demonstrated for us. And, and he came and he did those things. And so they saw that. And, and, and you know, there's a song that sung, I think Rochelle sung it before, um, 10,000 angels cried uh, that day that, that, that Jesus hung on the cross and paid the price. They saw God of all creation in this fleshly body paying for mankind's sin. And they had no idea. This doesn't make any sense. And so when they saw the resurrection and they see all these things happen, and when one sinner gets saved, that's why they rejoice so much. I think if we can remember our own forgiveness, the, our own past, our own sin that was just wiped clean in one, in one thing. One, one time we said, yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, Lord, save me. I, I accept you. I, I surrender my life to you. In that one instance, that boom, right then, as soon as we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, one instance, all of our sin got wiped clean. All of the darkest, dirtiest, all the, the worst, our, everything wiped clean. White as snow. And his righteousness, his perfect righteousness put on us. That happened to us. And when we see some, it happened to someone else, we should rejoice. It should, it should pump us up. And the blood's still available today to apply to sinners' lives. His sacrifice still sufficient today to cover all sin if there's repentance. If you've repented and you've turned to Christ and you, you're here this morning and say, yeah, I've done that. I know I'm a child of God, no doubt. I've trusted him alone for salvation. I surrendered all to him, just as we saw last week. Every fiber of my being has been surrendered to him. Then on that day that you did that, all of heaven was rejoicing. All of heaven was rejoicing. The hymn goes like this. I was once a sinner, but I came. Pardon to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home. That's what happened the day that we gave Jesus Christ our life. The day that, that, that uh, th this young boy that we're going to see uh, baptized today gave his life. Uh, the, 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 the young lady that was baptized last week, the moment that she gave her life to Christ, the, the angels in heaven were rejoicing. One sinner coming home. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 lest we forget exactly what was going on in our lives or where we were to, to where we are now. Paul was telling the Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 1, and you have he quickened, he's made alive. You, he's made alive. Who were, listen to these past tense words, who, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. The world says this is how you're supposed to live. The world says this is what you're supposed to get excited about. The world says these are all the things you should be doing and pursuing. You used to do that. You used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now work in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had, had our conversation, our conduct, the way that we lived in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were past by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Listen to this. I love this word. Verse, uh, verse 4. But God... 
who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through, Jesus, or through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, because we are his workmanship. That word for, that's what it means. No man has a right to boast because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's, that's the reason. We are no longer ours. We are bought with a price. Jesus said you got to hate your mother, father, sister, brother, spouse, brother, all those things, yea, in your own life also. Unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. It means that once we were, once we were dead, now we are alive. Now that we are alive, we have this great future to look forward to. And we're already sitting in heavenly places, number one. But number two, there's exceeding riches that he's going to manifest to us through Christ Jesus one day. And until that time, we have to understand it's not about us. It's not what we've done. It's everything that he's done. We've been created for him to do his good will. Praise God that that's the story of our lives. Those of us who are saved, we were once sinners. We were once dead in trespasses and sin. We used to walk according to the course of this world. We used to walk and, and obey the lust of our flesh and mind. We used to do all those things before, but now we've been made alive from the inside out, from, from our heart and our mind to our outside, and we've been made new like that. We've been made alive like that to serve the King of Kings that died in our place. They're still rejoicing. They're still rejoicing in heaven. And how can a sinner repent? How, how can, think about that. If you are completely sin, completely black, completely dark, how can a sinner repent? How can someone, how can someone go from darkness to light? If, if they're in complete darkness, if they're in absolute sin, if they're uh, lost in, in, in trespasses and sin, how can someone in that state of darkness come to light? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Same way for you and I. We would have never known that we had a need for a sinner unless we heard the gospel. We would have never known that there was only one way to heaven unless we heard the gospel. There was, there's no way that we could have gone from darkness ourselves into light and the angels in heaven rejoiced in that day that it happened had, unless someone shared the gospel with us. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the story of our lives would have gone that we would have continued on in sin, continued on in darkness, continued on to this, this, this path, this, this wide path that leads to destruction, the lake of fire. That was our story. But someone shared the gospel. Someone was loving and loyal and serving. Someone was sharing the gospel. And in our darkness, the light shone on us. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. It's the only way, it's, whether you're Jew, Gentile, no matter what color, race, no matter what, the only way to salvation, the power of God is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this, this is such a powerful section of scripture in chapter 4 and chapter 5, chapter 4 it says this, but if our gospel be hid, if the gospel is, uh, is the power of God and salvation, Paul says to the Corinthians, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, that are still in darkness, that are in trespasses and sin. If it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, listen to this, should shine unto them. The only way that those that are out there, out, outside, in, 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 the, in the broken, the blind, the maimed, uh, the, all those that Jesus said, okay, those, the first group gave excuses, the religious group gave excuses, now the second group are, are those that are broken in need, they're hurting, they're, they're lost, they're in darkness, they're shunned. Those people, go out there and compel them to come in. The only way is if the gospel shines on them.
Who is it that has the gospel? The church of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul said before, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency may be of God, not of us. Excellency of the power. Paul, in his testimony before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he had appealed to Caesar, and now he's, he's here before King Agrippa before that, and he shared a little bit of his testimony of what Jesus told him on that road to Damascus, which is very cool, because on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we don't get a whole lot of what happens there from, from Jesus. We see that, that there was a bright light, that Paul surrendered, that he goes on to Damascus, but we don't know exactly what was going on until we get to Acts chapter 26 when Paul is reciting his testimony and what that exchange was with that bright light that day. And this is what it says in verse 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. We already knew that. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness of uh, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Listen to what he says. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So that, that, that's, that was Paul's call, but that's the call of the church still. We are still those that are in the light. We, again, the, the charge, Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are the ones that have the light in us. We, we are the light of the world. And unless we go out and shine the light of the glorious gospel on those in darkness, those in darkness will remain in darkness and they'll continue down that path, that wide path of destruction and there will be no rejoicing in heaven. And so, a tough thought in the form of a question. Not that we can actually rob heaven of anything. But a rhetorical type question. Are we robbing heaven of rejoicing through our disobedience in sharing the gospel? If heaven rejoices over one sinner, one sinner comes home and, and all of the angels rejoice and we as the church of Jesus Christ are the light bearers, are the gospel bearers. And if we don't do that, if we don't share that light with those that are in the darkness, those that are without, that are broken, that are maimed, that are blind and halt, if we don't go out and share the good news that Jesus saves, that Jesus heals, and we don't shine the light of the glorious gospel, then there's no way, because it's the power of God and salvation, there's no way that those in darkness will come to the light. And so the question is, is, are we robbing? Heaven wants to rejoice. The, the Son of Man, Son of God, came to this earth and died. The angels, again, saw this happen. And so now they get it. Every single sinner, one out of the 99, it doesn't matter. One soul, so valuable. God left and died for. And now one soul is saved and they rejoice. Are we robbing heaven of rejoicing? Again, if faith comes by, comes by hearing, and we aren't telling, then sinners can't repent, so heaven doesn't rejoice. That's why the question was asked. If faith comes by hearing, yet we're not telling, then sinners can't repent, and then heaven isn't rejoicing. We may try to convince ourselves this is not a big deal. I mean, being maybe hyper dramatic, Brother Kyle. Maybe like those things, I don't know about you, but I've had those instances in my life where uh, something goes wrong and you're just like, I'm just going to go to sleep. It was just a bad dream. Wake up tomorrow, it's going to be completely different. You know, <laughs> it's a bad dream, bad day. I'm just going to go to sleep and we're just going to, it's going to be gone. Poof, done with. It doesn't work like that. Wouldn't it be great if it did? Oh, man. Something bad going on. I'm just going to go to sleep, and it'll be over. No more. <laughs> Boop. Life's completely good again. Listen, God, it's not like that. And the reason why is because we've got to think about what, something I've talked about before. 
God wouldn't leave his precious children that he bought with his precious blood in this world full of hurt and sin and darkness and death if it wasn't a really big deal. If it wasn't a really big deal for his children to shine a light on those that are in darkness, if it, it, again, it was the only way for those in darkness to come to the light is through his children shining that light, the glorious gospel on those that are in darkness. If it wasn't a big deal, then, then uh, again, God would say, eh, I'm just going to go ahead and take you home. They, they can, they'll figure it out themselves. The, those that are in darkness, those that are lost and hurt and broken, those that are in need of a Savior, they'll, they'll work it out themselves. It's not a big deal. Go ahead and come on home. But it is a huge deal. And I look around the room and I think about all that's going on in our church. There's a lot of people hurting. A lot of people struggling. A lot of people with, that are dealing with a lot of stuff. And I'm sure that if you're one of those that are dealing with a lot of stuff right now, you, you, you're probably one of those that has said something like this. I wish the Lord would just hurry up and come back. I just wish he would hurry up and come back, that we wouldn't have to deal with this, we wouldn't have to hurt like this, we wouldn't have to struggle like this. I just wish the Lord would hurry up and come back. You don't think God knows that's the desire of our heart? That in our pain and our suffering and our struggle and our hurt and our brokenness and, and, and our struggle, all those things, God knows those things. And as a loving father who's way more loving than I could ever be, you know, my girls, sometimes they... they Daddy, please, Daddy, please, you know, Mommy, please. And, and, and sometimes we, we, okay. God has a love that's far beyond what we could ever touch. And so when we're so hurting and we're so broken and we're so struggling and, 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 and life is so hard and, and, and we get to that place where we say, I just, I just wish you would come back so I don't have to deal with this hurt and pain, brokenness, struggle anymore. God sees that. And he knows that. But a couple things, he's doing a work in your life through that, or he wouldn't have you going through that. He's a good, good father. And number two, he has you here. Because if you'll continue to pursue him through that struggle and that hurt, if you'll continue to pursue him in faith and be obedient to him, then God will do something in the midst of that trial and after that trial that will be miraculous, that you can never do. But, but let's not get it wrong. We can also miss the window. We miss that opportunity through that trial and that struggle, through that hurt. If we go off and we try to go back to what we used to be before we were in Christ, we can miss it. But God has us here as his children through all this mess and through all this hurt and through all this darkness and through all this sickness and through all this sin that's still all around us, all of this, God has us here so that we'll shine the light of the glorious gospel to those in darkness. We'll finish this in verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of the goods that follow to me. And he divided unto, unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that city, and he sent, to him, uh, sent him into his fields to feed swine. Which you got to understand, again, these were, these were Jews that Jesus was teaching. And this story, oh, you know, I mean, he feeds swine. That's the lowest, m most defiled, most repulsive thing you could ever do. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk of the, that the swine did eat, and no, man gave, uh, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough? And, I, and to spare, and I'm, I'm dying because of hunger. I'll rise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father said to him and saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brothers come, and thy father has killed, him, uh, has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He begged, Come, come inside. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou hast never gave me a kid that I make marry, uh, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all I have is thine. It was me, it's right that we should make merry and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Praise God. Point number three this morning is repentance still restores the prodigal. Repentance still restores the prodigal. And this still angers the Pharisees. This still angers the religious all of mankind is part of God's precious creation. Sin is the factor that came along and separated our fellowship with, with God. And so let's not be mistaken that God desires for all of us, as we've already seen, to return to Him. In His omniscience, in His foreknowledge, in His eternal knowledge, He knows who will accept Him and who will reject Him. God knows that. But again, let's make no mistake, God desires reconciliation. And that's why he came in the flesh to die in our place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as the musicians make their way, it says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, praise God. And behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, listen to this, who hath reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them he wasn't putting our sins back in our account but he came to reconcile to, to to bring us to himself and has committed unto us the world the word of reconciliation now then we are ambassadors of jesus christ of christ as though god did beseech you by us we pray you in christ stead be reconciled to god for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him the only path to reconciliation with God, the only path to restored right fellowship with God is repentance. It's the only, the only choice, the only path is repentance. We've talked about this several times in this journey, but that has to stand out because we've talked about it so many times. If Jesus taught it so much, it's vital. If you're not in a right relationship with him, if you're not in a relationship with him through faith, Repent, turn away from your sin and turn to the Savior and be saved. But if you are in a relationship with God, you've been reconciled, you, you, you've placed your faith in Him, yet you've strayed from right fellowship with God, please listen. You know where you're at. And you can say in your life right now, I, I am not in right fellowship with God. The most praying that I do is the prayers that we have in a church service. The most I spend in God's word is when it's preached in a church service. I don't really walk with God. I don't really talk with God. But I definitely know. He's my savior. I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. Maybe sin has crept back into your walk. Maybe, maybe gone back to where he's redeemed you from. And sin's crept back in. Sin that you used to Seek and serve. You're now seeking and serving again. The answer for you this morning is repent. Turn away from that sin, those sins. Back to the Savior and be restored. And maybe there's some Christians here this morning, or maybe there's just one that you've forgotten your first love. Maybe you've strayed from that right fellowship with the Father. Listen, oh, he, he, he's waiting with open arms. And he's wanting to run to you. He's wanting to run to you and throw his arms around you and kiss you and rejoice. He, he wants to do that today. But you notice that younger son. 
he came to himself. And he says, I'm going to go back. The Father's waiting. But you've got to make the decision, God, I'm, I'm coming back. I, I want to be back. Even if, even if I don't get to do what I used to do for you, even if I don't, uh, even if I, uh, maybe my testimony is hindered a little bit right now, God, even if I can just be the lowest in, in, in your, your kingdom, I just want to come back and be right with you. If, if that's your heart, I promise you this, God wants to restore you. He, he wants to bring you back and wrap his arms around you, and he, he wants to see that rejoicing happen. But you've got to come to yourself. We've got to be the ones that make that decision. So I'm going to go back and get right with God. That's what he so desires. Not to serve sin that he died on the cross for, but to serve him. Maybe there's someone here this morning that, again, you've never truly repented of sin. You've never truly turned away from serving yourself. You've never really turned away from living for the world. You've never really done that. Maybe you prayed a prayer before. Maybe you've tried to be religious. You've never turned your all over to Jesus Christ. You're why he came to this earth and died. So this morning, your choice, the only choice would be to repent. Don't delay. Time is too short, and we're not guaranteed anything. Don't, don't play a game. Don't try to be religious. Make sure you know today's the day of the salvation. Make sure heaven's your home. Come today and let there be a rejoicing in heaven because you come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for another challenging message, but God, at the same time, it's such an encouraging message. Lord, it's so encouraging to know that you still receive sinners today. We're so thankful for that. It's such an encouraging thing, at the same time challenging to know that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner. God, help us to rejoice when sinners are one. God, help us to have the eternal things as the most important things in our life. That when you do something, when you move, when you restore someone, when you heal someone, when you save someone, God, those are the things that get us most excited in this life. And God, we're so thankful that you still have that, the open door of repentance for us. It still restores us when we go astray, when we get off the right path. Lord, the door of repentance is still open for those that are, that are lost in their sin. And this morning we ask that you would just move and that your, your will would be done right now in this invitation. We'll praise you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name.